we decided the other day, let's okay, we've got a 10-year plan. Mm -hmm. Well, we haven't got a plan. <laughs> we've got a 10-year horizon. Let's not try and do everything tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, you feel a weight is taken away from you when you say this is a long-term venture. Mm -hmm. And then you suddenly start realising that that means you have to enjoy the process. Yeah. I don't think it took me that long to work out that actually businesses were just ways of those people who'd set them up to help them achieve their goals in life mm. you know they're not a goal in themselves and and that that was that was a good thing to realize because mm. it, it meant I had a much better I think connection with the people I was helping uh, because I could help them achieve their life goals mm. not just their business goals yeah because people get mm. so wrapped up in the flow yeah they get so wrapped in wrapped up in the story that they are sold which is build a business, sell it, be happy, hmm. and it's bollocks. Hi, I'm Carlos, co-founder of the Happy Startup School, and welcome to our Happy Startup Community Podcast. Along this journey of building the Happy Startup School, I've had the privilege of meeting amazing people from around the world. Whether it was across a banqueting table at our summer camp festival, or sat at a beach cafe in Goa during one of our retreats. Each of them had fascinating stories to tell and interesting ideas to share that have changed how I look at business and life. This podcast is my effort to share these conversations with you and to open up your horizons to new perspectives and ways of viewing the world. I hope that they become a source of inspiration, learning and connection. Enjoy. This episode is a meaty one, in which the conversation covers 10-year plans, cottage renovations, business goals, life goals, selling companies, self-awareness, and leadership. My talking partner on the podcast is Ray Richards, founder of Do Something Different. He's fascinated by behavioral flexibility and is on a mission to make the world a better place by helping people make better behaviors. He's also an experienced entrepreneur who sold two businesses and is now on the process of growing his third. Along the journey, he's learned many things, not only about business, but about himself. He says he's inherently lazy, but what he really means is that he doesn't want to spend all hours of the day on work, as he's got other things he wants to do. So what does that mean when it comes to leading a business? What makes a leader? When we think of great leaders, we associate them with traits such as drive, charisma, resilience, clarity, and clear communication. However, I believe that we can all lead in our own way. To do so, we need to ask ourselves some probing questions. What are my personal and emotional needs, and where do they come from? What does my organization, business, or work need to be to address those needs? With that deeper understanding of ourselves, we can develop a style of leadership that feels authentic and purposeful. We may not become the next Steve Jobs, but we'll build a business that does the job of making us happy. And that's what Ray wants, to do work and build a life that makes him happy. Listen on to hear his thoughts about leadership and how he needs to lead now. So what do I do? I suppose, I mean, I have my... my my own time you know family friends that sort of stuff um my working week if you want to call it that mm -hmm. uh is split into three really one is do something different uh 
building the next version of the technology, which is an app called Flex, and that's been a very interesting process and an enjoyable process. Um, but that may be because we haven't actually got real users on it yet, and uh, I don't have to deal with the. I can just imagine it's going to be super successful, and and don't have to worry about the realities of it all. So, uh, but that that's a good part of my <clears throat> week at the moment. Um, there's doing our podcast, Neil and I do life done differently uh, podcast, which has been really really interesting and really useful way of understanding how people have managed to change and then we can start taking those learnings and building it into flex so that's they work really nicely together and then the other part of my um a normal week would be uh, restoring a cottage that i bought with three friends that's that floods two or three times a year so <laughs> Yeah, that's and that that's been really really interesting mm. because you've got four people who are all you know run their own things, <laughs> so they're used to being uh, well certainly having a, being heard, mm -hmm. and and then there's four people who's actually in that situation, so that's been quite interesting, and and it's been. The, the the most important thing really was that I think we bought it. We didn't know why we bought it. Okay. We, it was just in auction. It was if we get it for this price, great, fantastic. We'll do something, um, and we got it much cheaper than we ever imagined. So, and then we started to realise that actually we couldn't do a grand designs on it, um, and it would be an absolute. Well, it would be so wrong to knock it down. Um, we just got to restore it, mm -hmm. and that whole process of just restoring something and trying to keep it alive, rather than building something big, shiny, and new, that has been just uh, so calming, mm. uh, and, a, and a real sort of uh, yin to the yang of building a business that y you want to change the world. It's all we're trying to do is just get it back to the point where we and others can enjoy it and and not do anything more. So the phrase that stood out for me there, you said keeping it alive, and it reminded me of the book Infinite Games. No, don't know that. So the way I understand the premise behind this book is there's two types of games, finite games and infinite games. Finite games, the purpose is to win. Infinite games is the purpose to keep the game going. Yeah, and so um, they, I think the examples they give, like the education system and and business, is around. All right, how can we dominate a market? How can we get the top grades? How can we yeah. be the best? How can we, you know? And then infinite infinite games are about how do we keep a society flourishing? How do we all have food on the table? How do we yeah. all be happy? And so I think about this renovation. It wasn't all right. Let's flip it. Let's. How do we keep it alive? How do we? Yeah. Keep it going? Well, but that, having said that, that that's true. That's true with with do something different and flex. In that that I we we've never set out to build it and sell it. We've set out, and that's been part of the problem. <laughs> you know, because it's difficult to raise finance. Yeah. When you don't want to sell. Hmm. So. Um, 
but there is an element of building it to the point where then we can just keep it going and it can play its role in the world and in helping people get what they want from their life. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so, and I, and I think that the same with the, with, the, with, the, with the podcast as well. I mean, we've got, we realised the other day, we sort of, we were, you know, trying to, give us five stars <laughs> you know uh, subscribe yeah. you know and you know of course we still need to do all of that stuff if if we think what we've got is value valuable but we decided the other day let's okay we've got a 10-year plan mm-hmm. well we haven't got a plan we've got a 10-year horizon and, yeah and let's not try and do everything tomorrow mm-hmm. let's we've got 10 years and that, that suddenly you feel a weight is taken away from you when you say this is a long-term venture mm-hmm. and then you suddenly start realizing that that means you have to enjoy the process yeah um and why wouldn't you want to enjoy the process there is no tomorrow ever yeah. um you, you've got to try and in, enjoy it as much as you can while you're doing it why wouldn't you yeah so i, I like that infinite finite thing i think it's i think it's actually really quite useful yeah. i might have to buy that one you um, so maybe to create a bit of a contrast, or if there is one, um, before do something different, before life done mm. differently, and the cottage renovation. Yeah. You had another existence in business. Yeah. Maybe tell us a bit more about that, and I don't know if you can remember what what you were in it for at the time. Um. <clears throat> yes, yeah, good question. What was I in it for at the time? And I think. I think I was attracted to business because um, well I like sport and I like um, to be competitive and I think with business I saw an opportunity to (coughs) be competitive Mm -hmm. you know and, and, and have challenges and and try and achieve them and and that's sort of and 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 I and I I had a mixture of my own businesses and helping other people mostly helping other people <clears throat> and on a few occasions I managed to find people who were really super competitive and super driven in a way that I wasn't um, and I think I probably f- provided a bit of, um, well, I was a sounding board mm-hmm. and probably I think those people I worked with would say I had, had the human, uh, you know, I cared very much about the people. So were you working as a, in a mentorship role or a coaching role or was this a um, Well, over the years, a whole, <clears throat> I mean, I, I, I guess my, I, I did lots of different things between the ages of, um, well, I did an HND in business and finance because I cocked up my A-levels. Uh, A-level. <laughs> A-level. Uh, 1D in economics. I was, quite, I was quite proud of that, though. So that, uh, uh, Then I yeah, did a business and finance HND because that's the only thing that... Well, my mate was doing it. Yeah. Um, so I thought, well, I'll do that. So for people who don't know what an HND is, maybe give them a, a picture of how that compares to different... Well, well it stands for has no degree. <laughs> I've only subsequently found that out. <laughs> uh, an HND, high national diploma uh, in, in business and finance, and I have to say, even though it, you know you can get into it on one D in economics, 
um, it was quite good. Mm. You know, I learned a lot about business. So uh, it gave me a bit of a taste. Uh, and I, I guess I'd done a, it was a general business and finance that qualification that covers a lot of different things and really the years that followed I just did lots of different things mm. I did I worked in marketing I worked in sales I worked in HR I worked in finance I worked in IT I mean I pretty much I really did work in so many different departments and of course that qualified me for nothing <laughs> really because I wasn't I didn't have any depth in any area and no and an HND and business and finance which it turns out is not enough to get a job for McKinsey's uh, as a management consultant uh, which was a bit disappointing <laughs> but I did eventually get a job sort of using all my little bits of experience working for um, what turned out to be Business Link which was a government funded organisation to help small to medium sized enterprises grow and I <clears throat> my education was uh, <laughs> helped enormously by sitting down with people around their own businesses and mm. finding out how they did it and what their problems were and how I could maybe help solve those those problems um, but I it, it didn't take me I don't think it took me that long to work out that actually businesses were just ways of those people who'd set them up to help them achieve their goals in life mm. you know they're not a goal in themselves they're just a way of you achieving what you want in your life now that might be financial mm -hmm. it might be challenge it might be excitement it might be travel it might be hanging out with different people um, but it, it they aren't in themselves, they're not important. Mm. It's just what, if you're running your own business, this is. Yeah. Um, they're just ways of you having a better life. Yeah. And and that that was that was a good thing to realise because mm. it meant I had a much better, I think, connection with the people I was helping, uh, because I could help them achieve their life goals, mm. not just their business goals. Yeah. Because people get, I think. So, and we've talked about this before, they get mm. so wrapped up in the flow, yeah. they get so wrapped, in, wrapped up in the story that they are sold, which is build a business, sell it, be happy, mm. and it's bollocks. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, that, that, that's, that's, that's been the journey I've been on, really, is mm. just trying to understand how business can help us all or certainly those people that, that that are involved in them not just the owners how they can help everybody have a have a better life and that and then when you start to extend that out to you know beyond shareholders and employees and you start to think well how could it help suppliers mm -hmm. how could it really help customers then you suddenly end up with something that's um, really trying to you know making the world a better place mm. Um, and that's got to be the goal. And but the problem with it is, it's generally not the way things are done. <laughs> so it's really, you know, really hard to do it. Uh, so it sounds like you had a broad, through the business link work, you had a real cross section of different people running different types of businesses, and 
You oh. want to see the human level. Oh, God, yes. Yeah. And what I heard you say was that, well, the way I interpret one of the bits that you're saying is the difference between an intrinsic and extrinsic motivation for running your business. The way I say the extrinsic bit is success looks like this for a business. You get it to this level of revenue, this size of staff, this number of offices, for instance. And, yeah. that's one. and then there's the intrinsic. It's like, I'm looking for... Uh, a sense of achievement or I want to yeah. be able to travel or I want to be able to feel free or something like that and that's what another thing that motivates people to run businesses yes but I, I think <clears throat> what happens too often is that people you know myself included this is not other people this is me as well forget the intrinsic stuff mm. and they get caught up in the story that bigger is better mm -hmm. and they don't question it they just think that that is what you're meant to do when you run your own business that you it has to be bigger <clears throat> and that's not right well, it doesn't necessarily serve the human person no. It, it might it might be yeah. it might bigger might be better yeah it, it, it might be absolutely but it doesn't mean it, it is for sure yeah um you know i i know i know someone who you know built their business up sold it for 45 million quid and then two weeks later committed suicide you know that's quite a Yeah, that's, a, that's an amazing thing. Mm. That is a testament to all that work <coughs> potentially being for naught if it ended up. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I realised the dream that, you know, supposedly mm. the dream, £45 million is a lot of money. Yeah. Um, but didn't really understand what it meant to him. Yeah. Um, didn't understand himself. Well, this I, is the I, I would I would suggest the phrase that's been bouncing in my head at the moment is um, the idea of entrepreneurship as a journey of self-discovery. Yeah, and whether some people accept that invitation, or you plough on with, or well, so let me describe the, the the potential path is like you start off like you said the world of business being sold a story. And you accept that story wholeheartedly that bigger, bigger is better, success is a set of numbers and a spreadsheet, and that's all you're going to work towards. And then this other invitation of actually this whole journey, you're going to be learning more about you than about the business. And where you end up is where you need to end up if you yeah. accept the invitations yeah. along the way. And it sounds like for some people, they because they don't listen to that bit, they go for the clear, simple target but lose themselves in the process. I think I think that's right. I, I think that's what happens um, a lot. Mm. You know, I, I don't know how, how much I, I mean. I think you've got you've got a bunch of people who run their own business who 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 are making that choice because they you know they they want to be in control of their own time mm -hmm. probably uh, or, or certainly more than uh, as an employee <clears throat> and they are self-employed mm. 
they're not running a business to grow it and uh, and sell it and scale. Yeah. But, you know, they might employ a few people, and and I think a lot of the time, those businesses are really good, really good businesses. Mm. You know, they really understand. I think they would, we would probably call them family businesses lifestyle a lot business. lifestyle business absolutely and and, and but the, that phrase lifestyle business has been um knocked yes you know people oh he's just running a lifestyle exactly. business oh wow he's <laughs> running a lifestyle business you know <laughs> why wouldn't you yeah why wouldn't you run a business that improves your lifestyle yeah i think that's that's the thing that Oh, I remember hearing that a lot. So, using it as a as a disparaging remark, yeah, rather than um, something to be proud of. Yeah, and even I, as an, it's like a a kind of an um, an apology sometimes. Yeah, it's just a lifestyle. Business. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's just a, it's just something I do to make me happier, and yeah. the people that work for me happier, yeah. and you know, I provide good quality service or product, and yeah. wow, <laughs> well done. You know, you haven't got caught up in the in the flow. Mm. You haven't got caught up in the story that we have to. Everything has to be bigger. Yeah. So, with your own journey in business, what what things have you have you always had that appreciation? Actually, this mm. this is very much about making my life better. Or, what, did you have a transition? Did you do the way of learning? Ah, actually, there's a light bulb moment at some point. I think no, I've got to change things up. Um. No, it certainly wasn't. There wasn't a light bulb moment. Um, I think it's just been a, a a series of well, it's probably been a pattern of ebbing and flowing. Okay. You know where you get um, you have some success, and then maybe tell us about the success. Um, success. Um, well, my, I think probably one of my biggest successes was getting out of a business. Mm-hmm. The first business that I I went into a joint venture. <clears throat> what was that business? Um, it was an internet business. Uh, it was called Red House Solutions and we were building templated websites really you know early days of the web mm-hmm. you know so an estate <laughs> agent's need one estate agent's needs were no different from another estate agent's needs really mm-hmm. you know you could drop in a different logo and different properties and but they're pretty much the same and it, websites are very expensive to build at the time mm-hmm. so we were building templates for estate agents templates for a second hand car uh, and so was, how many of you were running the business? Well, that was there was me, and there was another. In, there was an internet company, the guys that were building it, and okay. and to so cut, were they the, the developers and they the were the developers. That's right, yeah. And I was the, the sort of designing it and and sales. Okay. Um, but what I realised was that even though we had a great product, um, and you know. Fair play to them. They built a good a good product, and we had BT lined up to distribute it. And I just woke up one morning and realised that the reason I didn't enjoy what I was doing is just because the people I was working with had a different set of values. Mm. 
And so the, that, that really was genuinely one of the best decisions I made, just get out of that. Mm. But because I realised, that was the first time I realised that the values, you've got to have similar values with the people you work. Mm. Um, or, or at least be able to have a conversation about the differences. Yeah. Um, so the business is doing well, lots of potential, BT lined up. Yeah. But you said, actually... This I'm, out, for I'm me. out of here. That's right. Yeah, and and you say there was a misalignment of values. Are you able to illustrate what what that meant? Oh, point? just the way people uh, treat people. Okay. Just the way you treat employees and yeah. and customers and. So was it one level, people just feeling like these are just people we can get to sweat and make us money, and another bunch of people who are just going to give us money for stuff that we create in terms of like that level of thinking of people within the businesses. If you, if you, I mean, I'm sure you have been a, a, an employee of a bad employer mm-hmm. um, and the way you're treated and you're, you're seen as a resource, you're seen as a human resource. Yes. That's what it was like. Okay. You know, everybody's just seen as a human yeah. resource. And as you you're say... You're a cog in a machine. Absolutely, Make sure you do yeah. You do your bit, you know. Yeah. We're not going to give you much direction, but don't get it wrong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that 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 sort of that sort of approach, and that you know that really was one of the best decisions I made to to, to get out of that, just leave it. Mm. Didn't take anything. Um, so that was a success. Okay. <laughs> um, and, you know, and it was because I learned that lesson. Mm. You know, and I, I would have learned that lesson at some point. Yeah, I learned it there, and it, and it was an important one. And this uh, was the first business you were part of, or was this? Yeah, uh, was that the first business? Yeah, it probably was. Yeah. Okay. I think it was the first time I'd. Well, it's the first, certainly the first time I'd gone self-employed. Mm. Um, so and you know didn't have a boss. Yeah. And then you know I I I advised lots of businesses and sort of ended up being non-exec director of a few and and, and we sold one and that so that was a that mm. was a success. And which, which was that business? That was Midnight Communications, mm-hmm. uh, Caroline Caroline Brown, and that was the dot com boom. PR company focusing on dot com <laughs> clients. Um, yeah, it was it was. Uh, what was your role in it? I was I was non exec director. Okay. So I, I mean I basically just acted as a sounding board and you know I, I found the guys that ultimately the agents that sold the business, um, and we all went through that process and that <clears throat> that was quite a big moment. Hmm. You know, selling a business is a big moment for, yeah. you know, quite a lot of money, you yeah. know, enough money that certainly... That's a very clear mark of validation. It is, that's right. And that's, that's I think that is part of why it is part of the story, hmm. um, the entrepreneur's story, and it, you can't get away from it. Every every entrepreneur knows that there's this, this thing that can happen. Um, and I think part of the reason is it's a very clear moment. It's hmm. a very clear milestone. Yeah. Um, it's like getting to the top of a mountain mm. but the thing about getting to the top of a mountain is you've got to come back down again Yeah. and that's not always so easy <laughs> um, I mean that particular case we, we actually sold it to an aim listed company and then well it was quite funny actually because we were relatively I was relatively naive and just thought, well, this, yeah, these guys who are buying us seem, must know what they're doing. You know, mm. I, their, their strategy doesn't seem to be particularly solid to me. Mm-hmm. But they're an aimlessly company. They've raised all this money. They must know what they're yeah. doing. 
Well, they look successful. Yeah, that, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it turns out that they didn't. <laughs> you know, and they went bust within 12, 18 months. And we bought the company back for a, about a 25% of what we sold it for. Mm. So, um, so did you have some kind of earn-out clause then? You had to be still part of the company? Yeah, okay. yeah. Um, but it wasn't very long. Okay. Um, subsequent sale was three years. I'm pretty sure with that it was, it was only a year. Um, but so that that was a, that was a success, hmm. um, and that sort of gave me confidence that that I could do this yeah. and help other people do it. Mm-hmm. Um, which is what you know I did a few times. You know, I worked with entrepreneurs who had their own businesses, and we grew them and we sold them. Mm-hmm. Um, so it sounds very much like a. Um, I don't want to. When we say supporting role, but I'm sure it's more active than that. But you're very much part of a. Sometimes it was, and sometimes it wasn't. Okay. Yeah, with 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 Spanaworks, what became my crossing. Um, I was yeah, I was in, in it. Mm. I wasn't uh, just somebody who turned up once every couple of weeks to. Um, so tell us about the story of Spanaworks, how that started, and and how that evolved. Um, well, Arjo, Arjo, and Robin started it. Um, from Arjo's bedroom, you know, and they classic, yeah, building websites, you know, uh, and and interestingly, oh, in fact, Caroline introduced me to Arjo, and sort of said, well, you need know, to meet Ray. He helped me sell company. Went to see Arjo. Arjo was doing pretty much exactly what the guys I'd gone into a joint venture with were doing, which was mostly building websites and doing a little bit of SEO mm-hmm. on the side, yeah. or natural searches or organic searches, it was called then. And I'm sort of saying to Arjo exactly what I said to the guys that I work with. This SEO thing looks, you know, this is really like that's really interesting. That's got recurring revenues. It's innovative. It's really close to the money. You know, you get somebody's website to the top of the search engine. You know, they're going to be very happy. It really does make a difference to their bottom line. Mm. And RJ is looking at me, going, "Yeah, I agree." You know, SEO. So we switched the focus pretty much overnight from wow. building websites to SEO and, mm. and changed a few things around. And I think. RJ and Robin were employing, I think it was seven of them then. Um, and yeah, we, we just focused on that. And and we were really good at it. Hmm. Uh, and when I say we, I mean the guys that we employed, I mean, I didn't have a clue how they were doing it. <laughs> uh, but they seemed to be know what they were doing and we encouraged that and yeah, grew the business very, very uh, quickly really. And so your role in it, how would you have described it? What were your... Well, to start with, I was just a sounding board for Arjo. Um, so much more st- strategic. Um, and then got much more involved in how we structured it and you know what sort of products were we going to you know, be offering because mm-hmm. we broadened out from SEO uh, to paid search. And then I think we were probably one of the first, if not the first, to employ... Um, somebody to look after social media, mm. uh, which was innovative. Um, and you know, eventually I sort of became I, I ditched all my consultancy and threw my hat in with Arjo, and we mm. and I was COO. COO. Mm-hmm. Um, not sure that was exactly my strength, but 
we sort of somehow managed to cobble together a. Because it sounds like you, you when we were talking before this whole very deep depth of field, you yeah. had this view of what what's this market looking like, what what all these things going in, and how then Arjo's skills and and his team could plug into that. It sounded like how you could take it. Um, yeah, I think probably Arjo was probably leading more on the. Um, on the product side, mm. I was really on the people side and how do we organise people okay. um, and how do we keep a team together mm. <laughs> and how do we pay them because, you know, they're coming in straight from university, we're spending six months, you know, training them. Yeah. Within six months, they're very, very attractive to many, many companies. Mm. Um, so how do we keep them interested in what we're doing and we did that by moving them around quite a bit uh, and so we sort of managed to keep people for three years mm. when the industry average was about nine months okay um and that was massive yeah. that was ma- and we had a really yeah we had a few people that were well you know those people in an office when they're they're charismatic and they get the social things going and mm-hmm. they have a laugh yeah. and and we had we had a good number of, of those sorts of people and so we just kept a team together that that's that's all we did is we kept a team together mm. and got the other bits right as well you know we understood about pricing we understood um how to deal with issues when they arose you know or we we started to anyway we yeah. learned that so but i i think the the, the big thing that we did we were innovative and we kept innovating and we kept a team together yeah. that was it and then, and then when we sold the business we everybody shared in it hmm. so everybody shared in the success yeah um and anybody that was with us during the earn out which was three years also uh, shared in the success so is that sounds like this is the a thread that's gone through your professional life this idea of equity and yeah fairness yeah definitely you know, like being able to reward people and treat people in a way that, that justifies, well, gives them a sense of achievement or, or value. Is that right? Yeah, or like the, the real motivation for everybody sharing in the success of the Spanawork sale was, was I didn't want to be walking around Brighton bumping into people, you know, and I've got a bank account that's really quite, healthy and they've got nothing out of it just mm. it, I, I was being selfish really I just didn't want to have that feeling where yeah. um, where a small number of shareholders had done very well and the people that had made it happen didn't share in it mm. um, so yeah that was that was the real motivation and I think I, you know I learned a lot of things from from that and I, I think is that is that money does change people mm-hmm. you know as soon as you you give something to they then they're expecting it and the problem was that we hadn't been through that process really before um we did it a bit with midnight we, we, we shared it a bit mm-hmm. uh, but not all the way yeah um but when people know that they're gonna get some in our case, cash every year mm. um, from from the earn out, they start really demanding it. Where is it? it, it it's June, February the 25th and we haven't got it yet. And it's mm. like, wow, okay. <laughs> so yeah. we had to start managing employees who suddenly, you know, they were spending it in their heads. They were yeah. spending it. They were, you know, putting down deposits on 
holidays and yeah. and and they you know they, and it started to become a bit of an issue interesting with only with a vocal minority i mm-hmm. have to say but yeah. it, it was a real it wasn't something i was expecting yeah um that people would start getting very agitated about the fact they hadn't got their mm. their payment nobody had yeah you know it was just delayed in the way these things sometimes are delayed yeah. so that was a bit of a um it's interesting how that I believe relates to people's relationships to money and what they um how they suddenly reframe a situation because it goes from a potentially a, a position of abundance to then a notion of scarcity. It's like rather than saying, Oh, I'm gonna get to this money at some point, it's yeah. like where's the money? Money's not here. I had an interest. I think it comes up to mind because I had a conversation with my father over the weekend and he was talking about a cousin of his who inherited from his mother, uh, I think, 400,000 euros worth of land. Uh, and But the land wasn't properly square. Right, okay. And so he squared it off and interfered with someone else's land. Oh, right, okay. And ended up going through some legal issues. And then, but all through that, he, he started complaining. Oh, this land is a nightmare. <laughs> oh, why did I get it in the first place? It's such a pain in the ass. So rather than thinking, I've got 400,000 euros in yeah. my pocket, it was like, oh, it's a pain in the ass. Yeah. And it's, it's, and it's the shift. It's just it's the same situation. It's just a complete shift in your mindset as to what's going on and the story you're telling yourself. Yeah. What's happening to you. Yeah, and I, it's interesting because I've spoken to quite a few people recently on the podcast, actually, and people... A lot of the people that have managed to live a life that is not what most people would call conventional have done it because they've been able to live their life with very little. Mm-hmm. You know, they've managed to get by yeah. with not very much. Mm. Um, and I think there is a massive freedom that comes with that. Mm. Um I think it's a healthy thing to be able to do. I was thinking, because this is, strangely enough, there's again this conversation I was having with my father over the weekend, because he, he came from a very poor background. And <coughs> the way I look at it, there's a power in it. And the way I interpret that, because you know you can survive yeah. at that level as well. Yeah. And if you don't know whether you can survive or not, then that's when the fear comes in. But if you've been to that stage that's and right. you've got through it, yeah, that's right. then you're fine. Yeah, it'll be fine. Whatever happens. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we we spoke to Pablo Woodward, who may other people may know as the Disco Bunny. Yeah, Norris's <laughs> mate. Yeah, <laughs> of course. You know, you in fact, you guys sponsored him. Your your name is on <laughs> the Happy Startup School is on the side of the bus <laughs> where we where we spoke to him, and um, he lives on twenty five quid a day. Yeah, and he's on his world tour currently. I think last time I heard, he was somewhere in Sweden, <laughs> but he lives on twenty five quid a day. Yeah. And he's got this um, bus that is not, you know, it's, it's not a Winnebago. No, it's not a Winnebago. It's not even a. It's not even a, a, a trendy V dub split screen type <laughs> thing. It's just. A, I think it's a Talbot that he's painted in Dulux yellow, <laughs> and it's not. Yeah, it's not everybody's idea of a beautiful little space. Yeah. Um, but it's all he needs. Well, that's that question of what is enough. Yeah, that's right. And that's so. I'm interested. I should. Um, 
because uh, well the thing that springs to mind is like this whole thing what is enough what, what and you either measure that in terms of money or you measure that in terms of emotions or you measure whatever you measure it and I believe there's there's a need that sometimes drives us in the way we act in, in business and whether we grow big or how we treat people. And what I'm linking to that is like well, the way you behaved in business, particularly the way you wanted to, when the the selling of iCrossing, or was it Spannerworks? It, then it was Spannerworks. We sold it at Spannerworks and it became iCrossing, yeah. How you wanted, uh, you wanted to make sure everyone was looked after. Mm. Um and what I hear there is a need for fairness, a need for equity. Yeah. You said it, I didn't want to feel like an arsehole because I got all of this and no one else. Yeah. But there, underneath that, I believe there's a need for fairness. Yeah. Now, the question I have, maybe there isn't an answer there, is like, do you know where that need came from? Because some people don't see that at all. They say, I built this, it was my sweat and tears, I paid you your money, you got your salary, Yeah. why should you get any of this? Because it was my risk. While other people, or like yourself, might think, hey, you know, we all did this together, this is part of a thing that we did together, and I feel the need to share this. Yeah, I mean, I, I, mean, I, I got it from a dad. Mm. <clears throat> you know, there's no doubt about that. Um, he was always very... He always felt he understood what fair was. Mm. <clears throat> Whether he did or not is another matter, but he tried, he definitely was conscious of that um, yeah, there's a strong belief around yeah, fairness yeah and I, and I think that that also uh, comes from sport you okay. know if you if you play sport at the sort of level that I played which is not quite often you don't have a referee mm. yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know you're playing a game of tennis yeah. and somebody the, the, the local park you know if the ball goes in Mm. You know, you've got to you've got to let them know whether it's in or out, and you've got to be fair about it. Yeah. And, and when you get play against people who, you know, the ball's in and they've just called it out, it's like, oh wow, mm. that's a big call. Yeah. <laughs> and that, you know, and I never really understood that because, yeah, you're playing in the local park against. <laughs> well, it makes me spring. I don't know if this is too much of a tenuous link, but I think again, infinite games versus finite games. If you're in it to win, and you want to be the last man standing then you will do what you can to be at the top. But if you want to make sure you still got people playing with you... Yeah, that's right. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> because you enjoy the game. That's right, yeah. Then yeah, you... and you play... And the long game is to get better, and that means keep to keep playing. Have someone to if play you, with. Exactly. <laughs> if, you, if you run out of people to play with, yeah. you, you know, you're not going to get any better anyway. No. So, yeah. Although, having said all of that, I think sport is one of those places where you can... You can go out to win, mm. but not at all costs. No, and like you said, this idea of fairness, and yeah. there's, a, there's an agreement. Yeah, well, and that's what the rules are there for, right? Yeah. <laughs> that's why you have lines. Mm. Um, so the rules are there, it's very clear. You know exactly what you're able to do and what you're not able to do, mm-hmm. unless it, come, it comes to VAR, and then it's very unclear. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is for me anyway. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, that's a transition. <laughs> yeah, uh, that's true. <laughs> So yeah, well, fairness definitely, definitely important. But I think sometimes you can, with fairness, you can give people things that they don't value. Okay. Um, and you think it's really valuable, and you think you're doing, you know, you think you're a really good guy because you're you're sharing this with them. They're looking, going, oh, thanks very much, mm-hmm. great. That is absolutely of no interest to me whatsoever. Because mm-hmm. maybe they've been given shares in a company. Yeah. 
and they don't really know what that means no. and they've never experienced they don't know that that could be valuable in some way yeah um so i think i think it's very you've got to be very careful when you're it's careful balance to make sure that you're not making some really you're making judgments about what's good for them mm. it's good for you it might not be good for them yeah, yeah. so it's it's a, it's you, you've just got to be careful that you're not um you're not placing your own value system. Your own value system, that's right, and expecting everybody to go along with that. And yeah. and I think if you bear that in mind, mm. it can be helpful. It can be helpful because some people do just want... Just give me a Christmas bonus. <laughs> exactly. You know, or give me, give, me, give me Friday afternoon, the first Friday afternoon of every month off. Yeah. Or let me work from home or... Well, a very... Um clear example for me in my experience of this is when we were working with uh, entrepreneurs building their products um, and we would spend a lot of time asking them why do you want to do this what's your motivating you what's driving you they didn't want that no. I don't want more questions yeah. I want you to, to build it yeah. it's like you know make this that's, do that do that do that yeah. tell me how much it costs and let's do it well we were much more interested so what what does success look like? Why is he yeah. doing it? Who do you know? You know why do you who what is the change you want to create? But it was the wrong questions for the wrong or people weren't prepared for those questions. Yeah, or, or they or saw them differently. Yeah, or or it wasn't the right time for those questions. Yes, exactly, timing. Yeah, because at some point they probably will start to ask yeah. those questions, but it may be two, three years time. Yeah, or, or, or longer. Because I think you know, like what you're saying there, where there's share options or or a different way of working. Um, ultimately, they're not a bad thing. It's just some people don't value them at that point. No, that's right. So, and, and given that you've got a limited supply of these things, <laughs> make sure you give them to the right people, the ones yeah. that do value them. Um, exactly. But then there's also this, well, isn't it good that we're all in it together in the same... So when we win, everybody wins. Which is what I'm curious about at a personal level, um, I see this uh, this lens that you look at the world through this lens of fairness and the lens of equity and how that um, nudges you in certain behaviours and directions of how you want to run a business, how you see how people should be treated, how you want to create a system that, that is equal for everyone. And so um, a phrase that I learned a couple of weeks ago on another podcast was this idea of uh, the organisations we create bear the scars of our founders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And this idea that we bring in these beliefs and these values yeah. and we unconsciously act based on those things. Um, and so I think the overarching thread, I'm interested in this conversation because you've gone, you've had these transitions of different businesses. There's been this, uh, feels like a consistency about the, the values that you have in business. Um, how you become more aware of that if at all or how they've changed through the experiences you've had well they've certainly changed um, I 
I mean, I, just the whole process is just a constant learning. Mm. Uh, that's all I can say. Is it's, yeah. you know, it's a constant education, mm. um, and, and 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 about finding out about myself as well. Yeah. Really finding out about myself, and. Yeah. So when say when when you sold Spannerworks, yeah, was there anything you learned through that, or do you think you learned anything through that experience? Oh God, yeah. <laughs> About yourself. Uh, oh my God, yeah. Uh, I mean, I learned that I can be very, very resilient. Okay. Um, but that it is very. <clears throat> But using resilience it can be a very, very stressful process. Okay. Um, so being tough, mm -hmm. being tough and well, soaking it so, up, all right. soaking it up and, you know, the pressure and the, the stress and all of that is mm. a very, very, um, difficult, can be very, very, it was very, very difficult. It was a very stressful period, mm. you know, you, you was this around to negotiations and stuff yeah, like that? Yeah, negotiations, and even then when the deal has been done, you know, there are lots of things that happen after that that uh, are very stressful, you know. Your Goldman Sachs won't pay you because they now own the company that you sold to. Mm -hmm. You know, a few months after we sold, Goldman Sachs became the main investor oh, right. and suddenly their approach to how they dealt with people was, I mean, we just ended up in three massive, massive fights with Goldman Sachs. Okay. Um, and I, you know, I can't really find any other word than arseholes mm. to describe the way they treated or tried to treat us. I mean, we won each time. Yeah. So we had three fights with We won every one. You know, but you are fighting against Goldman Sachs. They are they are saying, well, come on then, bring it on. Our, you know, our, our, our pockets are quite deep, yeah. is what they're saying. Bring it on. And you're looking going, yeah, but you're definitely not doing what you said you'd do. Mm. So surely if it goes to court, we're going to be in the right. And we were. And they they caved in mm. quite quickly, actually. But it didn't mean it wasn't very stressful. Yeah. So that whole period, <laughs> uh, Arjo and I, you know, we had a real focus on, you know, we were really... Um, working to the same objective, Arjo wanted to sell the business. Yep. I my job was to help him do what he wanted to do with the business. So yep. we worked towards that. But once that was done, then we didn't really have a clear goal after that. So he and I, um, yeah, we 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 were a bit disjointed hmm. to say the least. Yeah. Um, because all we could see, see was the third year finishing, yeah. and then what happens then? Yeah. You know, and do we want to maximise the earn out, or do we want to leave the business in a really good state so it can carry on and go on and, and thrive? And mm. you know, it ebbed and flowed. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, that alignment piece of what, what? Yeah. Both of you having clarity as to what you want, and then yeah. coming together with that clarity. Yeah, and and makes you think of your cottage. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, maybe if we'd have thought about it in those terms, it would have been easier. Um, so, I forgot what your question was now. No, I think it was that learning. So, the, what I heard from that was you found, you learned about yourself in terms of the level of resilience. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I learned I could be resilient, but I didn't want to have to go through that again. Mm. Because it was just, it was very, very hard. 
Yeah. Um, so what did happen after that? Well, I did what all um, internet entrepreneurs do, and I bought a big house. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and did it up. <laughs> um, and that was that was that was great. Uh, you know that is. So you just stopped everything else, and you I just stopped. Went, ah, this is my. Project. I stopped absolutely everything. Yeah. I stopped everything, and I just focused on that, and that was quite. Um, Therapeutic. It is something I'd always wanted to do. Is... Were you burn out? Were you like? Yeah, yeah, I was I'm definitely. Just, oh I don't yeah, have God. energy to do anything. Oh else. yeah, no, I was definitely uh, okay. in need of a rest. Right. Um, but turns out doing up a house isn't really a rest, but it's different enough yeah. to make it feel say, like a rest. Change is as good as a yeah, rest. That's right, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So it, that that was good, and I probably wasted far too much money doing it. And but it's the house I live in now, mm-hmm. and I love it. Uh, it's falling apart now and I've got to actually start doing stuff again so eight years later mm. <clears throat> but that that was that was an interesting process and I did enjoy that and then but I was getting a bit bored yeah. and I got asked to do a little bit of work with PwC with a friend actually um, and didn't really have a good excuse to say no so did it Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that they asked me to get involved to bid for a diversity project okay. um, and which I, I won so I had the gig to uh, help them develop a diversity programme and then I realised that I knew absolutely sod all about diversity <laughs> and, there's so uh, much diversity in the diversity world <laughs> oh god I, I mean I honestly did well I, I, what I what I really realised was that I knew nothing about how to help people actually change their behaviour mm. and I didn't want to put together a programme which people watched EastEnders and went through a bit of e-learning and said they'd done their diversity programme so mm. I wanted to understand exactly how people do change behaviour. Mm. And that's when I called Ben and Karen, professors of psychology, who I'd met previously, um, got them involved, and I learned all about the Do Something Different methodology, which was not rocket science. It's just, you know, if you want different results, you've got to take small steps out of your comfort zone. You've mm. got to do something different. You've got to step into the unknown, as I now describe it. And looked at this and thought, oh my God, this is, this is incredible. Of course, this is, it's quite simple. It's not about changing thinking. It's about changing what you do and mm. doing it in small steps. Wow, we could, we could take this approach. We could um, use technology to deliver it mm. um, because Ben and Karen were using, with Renell's help, we're, we're, we're doing it in a community centre in Norfolk and it was you know it was really working very well the mm. results were fantastic but it was very very labour intensive yeah. um, and so yeah we, we did the project with PwC um, it was very successful in their terms I'm not quite sure how successful it was if I'm really honest but they it won lots of awards and um, and so we had a bit of confidence that we had something that, that there was an appetite for mm. Um, a Dutch company got involved, gave us a load of money to develop a product. We did that. That was successful, and we sort of kept going. And um, yeah, that, that's how I got involved with do something different and behaviour change because nice. I could sort of see that the methodology, mm. the idea of behavioural flexibility, yeah. which is which is really at the core of everything we do, um, 
could be a massive help to lots of people in so many different areas mm. whether it, you know diversity yes but also you know if you want to lose weight stop smoking be a better leader yeah. be happier um be less stressed be less depressed be less anxious um you know, whatever it is you want to change, whatever goals you want to achieve, this idea of taking small steps out of your comfort zone, giving you different results, is applicable. Yeah. Cool. So uh, there's this um, big change you can create. Uh, so the things that are running through my head now in terms of the story I've heard is like, um, there's a need for impact kind of yeah. sense this need to like I, I want to make things better yeah uh, a need for fairness I want yeah. to make sure everyone gets this yeah um, and so now there's this vehicle yeah and when we talk about business not for the sake of building a business but it is a vehicle for you to achieve your needs yeah well, that's satisfy your needs is there's a vehicle where you can create impact for many many people and actually raises people up on a big scale yeah um, and then there's running a business. Yeah, that's <laughs> that's where the difficult bit comes. And running not only that in an area that is technology, where there is a perception of how tech businesses are supposed to evolve. Yes, absolutely. Um, and what I remember from our previous conversation, this idea of making following the path of 10 million users. Yeah. And actually creating impact that feels meaningful to you. Yeah. Um, and it would be nice, it would be interesting, I think, to talk to this this contrast I hear of, for instance, when you're talking about the, the community centre, very tan, no, sort of hands-on, yeah. labour-intensive approach, and then the idea of a product that could mm. scale up. And the two mindsets that the the yeah the two approaches and what the feedback is and how that affects the person who's trying to create the work or do the work yeah um you know and i i would be lying if i said i understood um the right way to do things mm -hmm. now i don't um but <clears throat> i think part of the problem we had initially was that we were as you sort of alluded to, we were we were taking a service-based approach to building technology. Mm. So each time we got a client, we would try and sort of meet their needs, yep. as we did when we ran an agency. Yeah. Um, and it took me a very long to un un time to understand that that is not the way to develop a product. Mm. Um, and that you create a product with users in mind, um, absolutely, but not as individuals. You have to develop it in a way that you, you do it for groups. Mm -hmm. And if individuals don't like it, then that's okay. Mm -hmm. And that's still I still find that quite hard to say. Yeah. I still find that quite hard to say that, that somebody's gonna come onto a, you know, an app that we might develop and they're not going to have the best experience and that's okay mm. because actually it's not designed for them. Yeah. Um, so I, I still find that difficult, but 
I now understand that that's what you have to do. Mm. You have to develop a product um, and it can't meet the needs of everybody. Yeah. Um, and maybe over time, you can develop it in a way where it does meet the needs of more people. Yeah. And that's certainly what we will do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, now the focus... within the constraints of the business and the resources, you have to work with what. Yeah, you've that's done. right. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I just thought I just thought that what we had was such a brilliant idea. Yeah. Small steps. Yeah. Do something different. Get something different back. Wow, yeah. it's obvious. Yeah. Everybody's going to love it. Yeah. You know, and and you know, people mostly get the idea. Yeah. But actually, putting it into a piece of technology where, you know, and it's an app on your phone. Yeah. That's much much more difficult much more difficult um it's a whole journey in itself and yeah absolutely yeah absolutely and um so the curious thing i have from this and this is maybe uh, an assumption from the outside i see a little little bit of a conflict there in terms of the personal need for fairness and equity and everyone getting what they need and then this reality of building a product-based business where you can't guarantee the outcomes for everyone because yes. I think even when you said before, they will look at the situation in different ways or they'll come to it with a different set of beliefs. And so they won't necessarily follow the program and get to where you want them to get to. Yeah. And being able to... This incongruence is too strong a word, but there's a mismatch of expectations. Expect a need to make things for everyone to get benefit from and the reality of, actually, I can't necessarily do that at the moment. Yeah. And how that... Well, I don't know if that's something that, that's been, you know, you talk about your idea of resilience and being able to accept adversity or challenges, how that affects also how you want to move a business forward and how fast, how hard you push something and how, well, there's an elephant how much you accept it. Yeah, there's an elephant in the room that we haven't talked about and I think we need to talk about it and that's my inherent laziness. <laughs> and, you know, I, you know, I like working. You know, I do like working if it's the right type of work and I'm with the right sorts of people, but yeah. I am inherently lazy. Mm. So I don't really want to be working all the hours that I can because I've got other things that I want to do with my life. So I, I tried to create an organisation that was much more holocratic, mm. where people ran with it at genuine leaders of their own areas. Um and I think, to a certain extent, we did that. Um, I, I, I raised some finance because a friend invested, mm-hmm. uh, a very wealthy friend, thankfully, because he hasn't got a lot to show for it at the moment. Uh, in fact, I'm seeing him tonight. I'll probably just have to apologise again. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we, we just, I, I didn't lead. Mm-hmm. That, I think that was the thing. I think I think I don't think I did the bit where I needed to lead. Mm. Uh, I was abdicating responsibility. I was trying to create an organisation where I wasn't essential in it, mm-hmm. and I think that's possible, but not in that startup phase. You've okay. got to have a leader in that startup phase, and and I think people were, you know unsurprisingly looking to me to do that and I wasn't doing it mm-hmm. um, what was stopping you from doing that 
think I think the big thing that was stopping me doing it is that I had a lot of responsibility before when we sold Spannerworks. A lot of stuff came through me. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to go back there again. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. I just didn't. It was, you know, it was far too stressful. Yeah. Um, I just didn't want to go back there again and so I tried to constantly keep myself out of the loop as much as possible and only get involved when there was no alternative but that wasn't that wasn't enough yeah um yeah and ultimately it meant that we had to well it was only me left Hmm. by the time we'd worked out you know that if we didn't if we didn't scale down our costs and that meant you know, people finding other work yeah. and not working with us, um, that we wouldn't have a business at all. Mm. So we had to bring it back, back down to me mm. um, and Joao, uh, my uh, developer, who's been with us pretty much from the beginning, yeah. um, in one guise or another. And we're slowly rebuilding it now. And I am taking that responsibility. I'm taking the responsibility for product and, pr- and everything. Yeah. And bizarrely, I'm enjoying it. Mm. But I, I'm doing it slowly yeah. now, so we got we'd raised some you know we'd raised a million dollars, you know through a very you know generous um, stroke interested friend who could afford to invest that sort of money, mm-hmm. but we didn't use it in the best way we could have done. Mm-hmm. You know we didn't we thought we were at a point where we could scale, yeah, and we weren't. Okay. Um, so yeah, we've had to take it back down to basics again. Take all the lessons we learned, yeah. um, and really the guys before everybody sort of disappeared into their new working worlds. Yeah. They created the beginning of this, the new app, and they did a really good job mm. of getting the the basics right. And since then, we've been building on that and finessing it. Yeah. Um, and I've been, you know taking responsibility for the first time really Mm -hmm. um in everything that happens and it's quite a good feeling as long as you can do it at the right pace Mm. if you're full if 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 you're having to do things quickly it's stressful um so we'll see what happens next but that so with the previous incarnation like when you had the the larger team how did direction and decisions and leadership work what was the what was the process how did you well i think if we, if we'd have had a process that might have been better <laughs> or the agreement or it the, was, or the it, way we, of we the just culture. had a bunch of people who were really up yeah. for the purpose of the business okay. you know really utterly and still are you yeah. know you know when I, I went out with everybody last week um and you know everybody's still really fired up about what we did and what we're doing mm. um, and everybody did people had their, their own areas of responsibility somebody say somebody would be developing you know in charge of developing the product and mm. somebody was you know doing all the, the branding and somebody was looking after leads and you know so every, people had their responsibilities but it just had nobody had that overarching mm. And that was meant to be me. Mm. Um, and I thought I'd done enough yeah. that to let give people complete 
responsibility. They can do what they want, mm. but they couldn't see what I could see. Yeah, I, th- I think that I think why would why would they? Yeah, yeah. I hadn't explained it to them. Yeah. Um, now that's not to <coughs> say that's not to say that my vision for it will be ever um, will ever get there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd be really pissed off. If I don't give it a good go, mm. I will be really pissed off if I don't don't um, make pro- make progress towards it. Yeah, and and I think I think we are. Yeah, I think we're making really good progress towards it. But it's a very different approach to the one I had, mm. and, and you know, simply what I learned was that just a good idea with a load of people that really believe in that idea isn't enough Mm. it's just not enough you need somebody an individual who's a little bit of a benevolent dictator yeah uh in that startup phase Mm. is absolutely essential and you know and i don't like being told what to do this is the problem really is i don't like being told what to do Mm. so and it goes back to what i said earlier i don't like being told what to do so i don't like telling other people what to do because yeah. I imagine they're thinking don't tell me what to do where in actual fact they're saying just tell us what to do Ray <laughs> it's like come on you know be clear you know I'm happy I'm yeah. not, you know I, I'm working for a great company with great purpose just tell me yeah. and then I can help yeah so it, it, it's I think there's a big lesson here in it's, don't assume that everybody feels the same way you do exactly and that's what it doesn't matter whether that's about the value of shares yeah. that's, uh, or the value of flexible working yeah. or uh, being told what to do. Just don't assume that. Really check in with people. Mm. You know, what, what, you know, you know, what, what, how they want things to work. Yeah. Now, I, I think it's really, I find it really useful particularly through the way I look at this or I'm hearing this conversation is through this idea of inner work and leadership. And so taking just the leadership bit, I think in your context, one of the main, I think most leaders, but using your DST as an example, a big role of the leader there was to communicate the vision super clearly. Yeah. So everyone knew exactly where they were going and how it input into that. So it's very much purely communication clarity story and making that keeping that going and then with the inner work side is this awareness of what's guiding my behavior why am i not stepping up yeah you know in this case past experience of oh actually if everything has to go through me in the same way it went with spanner i don't want to take that role yeah uh i don't like being told what to do so i expect other people don't want to be told what to do so i don't want to do that role and so these little things that when you have an awareness of them and where they're coming from, then maybe allows you to reframe what that role of leadership could be for you. Yeah, absolutely. I think I think that's right, and I th- I wish I'd learned that earlier. Mm. And that's I think for me the intention with this kind of conversation and having that is like, if you are that person who is potentially stepping into a leadership role or hesitating or are in that leadership role and you don't know why it's uncomfortable, why things aren't working, yeah. is maybe not so much always just looking out for how do great leaders lead but also looking a bit inwards into when I, how and do I, I tick and I, and I think that's what I, the last two years I would say what I've started to do is to notice how I feel mm. 
and not just say to myself, okay, be resilient. You know, you can, you know, it's like, oh, come on. That's, it's like, sometimes it's useful to be resilient. Sometimes it's useful to use something else. Yeah. Because, yeah, resilience might be for that final push. Mm. You know, if, if you've got a mountain to climb, just getting you just actually to those, you know, the last the last bit, and that's really, that's great. Yeah. You know, or yeah. being able to deal with, um, you know, painful situations yeah. when, you know, relationships break down or somebody dies or gets ill or, mm. you know, and you need resilience there as well because, you, you know, you, whilst you sort of work out what, what, what's going on. But mm. to use resilience again and again and again, it, you know, you do not want to become that one-trick mm. pony because you're going to live a life that is um, far more painful than it needs to be. Uh, the image I have in my head is a sponge and there's only so much you can soak up and so if you can't in the other words self-compassion it's like if you can't say okay there's only so much I can take yeah I can't be resilient all the time yeah and I have to just sort of, I don't know what, how, what the word is whether it's let go or just say I just can't do that yeah and I'm not going to be able to do that yeah and you know and I, I really like the the quote um you know what you most need to know will be found where you least want to look <laughs> you know and i think that's i think that's really really an important thing to remember that you know i think probably in my case that was about taking responsibility mm. you know i was running away from the responsibility and i needed to be running towards it yeah um, and you know what it has made a massive difference mm. to the quality of my life actually running towards it yeah. Um, and dealing with each thing that needed to be dealt with, and you know, it wasn't easy. But actually, once once you start to take responsibility, it's amazing what happens. <laughs> you know, it's absolutely incredible. So, um, I, and I think I think if you can do that quickly, yeah, and don't let it get that that problem get bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm. If you can deal with those those problems as they come and you, you tack them head on, you look mm. where you least want to look, yeah. then, yeah, they're, they're, they're small amounts of discomfort, mm. not big amounts of discomfort, stroke stress, stroke pain, mm. uh, suffering, you know, just deal deal with them quickly, yeah. uh, and don't don't get let them get out of. And ask for help. Yeah, I think that's a big thing. You know, ask for help yeah, because really you know you cannot, you cannot. It doesn't matter if you're CEO or you're um, low level project. Well, you 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 just you know you just started in your first job ever. Yeah. You know, ask for help. Yeah. Uh, and I really like this idea of reverse mentoring as well, where there's, yeah. you know, where uh, a digital native who can coach me into um, finding a way of using social media that isn't painful for me. Yeah. That I actually enjoy. Yeah. Um, and that person who coaches me in that, I yeah. can hopefully bring them some I, I advice as well. I remember a few years ago working with someone and he taught me this whole co-coaching approach and just like, probably like DSD, it's having simple structures that allow you to have those conversations that you learn, you help each other in a very mutual way and you learn something 
that you might not have learned about yourself. Yeah, and don't let your ego get in the way. No, no, exactly. And in terms of getting your ego getting in the way and your identity getting in the way and linking it back to what we said before around some people are not ready for it. I think the, the thing that's coming out for me, for me for this conversation is that, like you said, you got to look in places where you don't want to look because that's where you're going to find the gold and the really useful things. And I, I can imagine there's going to be people who might listen to this and thinking, I don't want to look there. Mm. But actually, that's the best place for them to look. How can we incentivize? How can we get people to really, you know, they're not, them. or let's put it another <coughs> way. Um, is that classic thing of, well, actually, I, I, I remember someone just talking about death uh, and this idea of raising your consciousness, being more aware of what's really important to you. And a lot of the time, you only realise that just before mm. that's going to happen. And that's why the whole near-death experience, people change their lives. Like, oh, now yeah. I know what's important. And we know that actually there's people at this stage of the journey that if you knew that, had got that awareness, yeah. it would be so much better for you along this yeah. the rest of this path. It's like, But they're not ready for it or they don't yeah. want to look into it. It's like, how, how, do, how do we create those moments? Yeah. How do you compassionately get someone aware it's like do you know what if you looked at this thing in a different way or if you looked at those spaces that you don't want to look at yeah so well, I, I think I think the answer is it, it it's a it sounds like a a very simple solution but I do think it's the right solution and I think it's just to experiment hmm. I, I just take those make sure that any steps you take are very small hmm. so you know whatever happens they're not um Catastrophic. Catastrophic, that's right. Um, take small steps and treat it as an experiment. Mm. And each time you take a small step, your perspective does change. Mm. It, it really does. It's a small, it's, it, seems, it seems like that small step isn't going to make a difference, yeah. uh, but it does. Um, and, and if nothing else, it makes you less afraid of the unknown mm. because it's the fear of taking that step that's the problem. Yeah. Taking the step itself isn't a problem. Yeah. It's that bit before. And you know, the opposite is, if, uh, my favourite quote is the Winnie the Pooh quote, which is, you know, I love honey. I really, really love honey honey there's only one thing better than honey and that's that moment just before <laughs> you taste honey and it's the same the opposite is also true it's yeah. it's you know it's not the doing it it's yeah. the fear of doing it yeah. actually once you're in it it's 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 usually not a problem at all because mm. your mind is focused on the newness of what you're experiencing and that's quite exhilarating that's so get curious. Yeah. That, I mean, I think really that is the most important thing for people to get curious, to tackle the things that they um, are most afraid of. They know what they are. If, you know, it might take a bit of time to, to, to notice them over a period or, um, or, or just sit down and have a conversation with somebody you trust. Mm. But very quickly you can start to get an understanding of the things that you are fearful and then just take some really small steps towards, you know, ask, ask if, if you're worried about if it's an issue with your partner, uh, whether it be a business partner or a life partner, 
or a friend, have a convers a slightly different conversation to the one you ask a different question to the one you normally ask, mm. uh, or be a bit more open than you normally are, mm. or go for a walk with them when you don't normally go for a walk with them, and yeah. just really explore those areas where you are fearful. Notice what what's going on. Take it, explore. Take a few steps, um, and then take aim at something a little bit bigger. Well. Another step. It doesn't yeah. even have to be bigger. You know, just keep taking small steps. And it's the only way to do it because big steps don't work. Mm. People don't take big steps. Or they, or they, if they do, they're forced upon them usually. Yeah. You know, either ill health or redundancy or relationship. That You know, a big step happens to them. But when people want to change the best thing is to just take small steps into the unknown and and keep going thanks for listening to this happy startup school podcast we're on a mission to help purpose-driven entrepreneurs and individuals find more alignment between what they believe and the work they do because for us happiness is when what you think say and do are all aligned happiness isn't just a passive feeling but an active way of living which isn't always easy but when it's done right can be effortless We're on a mission to help you find happiness by providing tools, courses and community that inspires you to follow the journey of building a happy startup. This will require finding out more about yourself as well as learning how to build a purposeful business. If you're excited by this, then please rate and subscribe to this podcast on your preferred platform and then go to our website, thehappystartupschool.com. You can also read our blog at ahappy.link forward slash read.